0: Welcome to No Hype, the podcast about truth, science, and the future of marketing. Brought to you by your hosts, Allison Dietz.
1: And Brett House.
0: You may have heard the exciting news that New Star was acquired by TransUnion and that we are now officially a part of the TransUnion family. With that in mind, we wanted to kick off the new year with a special guest, our new colleague, Matt Spiegel. Matt launched the media vertical and marketing solutions business at TransUnion. And Matt is no stranger to the advertising community. He founded Resolution Media, an integrated performance marketing agency, was CEO of Omnicom Media Group Digital, CEO of Analect Marketplaces, and a managing director at MediaLink prior to joining TransUnion. Matt, welcome to No Hype.
2: Yeah, thank you. Great to be here. Matt, thanks for
1: joining us. Um, So, we just got a brief history, a snapshot, a dummy proof version of your background. What would you highlight as the pivotal, maybe transformative moment? in your career that sort of set you on the path that you're on now.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, you, uh, in that background, definitely hit on some of the key pieces for sure. You know, in many ways, I I was extremely lucky to get into this business. Um, I, uh, happened to right out of school, get into this digital marketing business in the late nineties, uh, at a time when, you know, the question was, does this internet thing matter? Uh, and the company that I first joined, uh, long story, we won't tell was gone pretty quickly. Um, but I was hooked on this space, and, and that was really, truly a kind of a lucky kind of accident that I ended up in this category. And then there's no doubt that my career took a, what I think is the most interesting part of the trajectory when I founded Resolution Media. Um, you know, One, being an entrepreneur, getting to start a company, super interesting, super fun. Uh, doing it in 2003, 2004 at the really early days of search. Uh, which is really exciting. The way I anchor it is there were all of four or five people in the Chicago Google office when we started the company. Uh, mm-hmm. Now they have their own building, right? Uh, and then selling out to Omnicom was really, really huge and me being able to take on a bigger role with an Omnicom. Um, I spent six years in total inside the agency landscape. And and while certainly I, I you know, kind of often joke that I consider myself an accidental agency guy, uh, the time of my career being inside there was super, super valuable. It uh, really got me to see... You know how do big marketers and uh, think about how to evolve in this space? Um, and so that I, I would say that was the era of time, which really I set my set my career in this trajectory that i'm uh, you know I think since have been pretty happy about.
0: and as many of our listeners might already know, you've been actively leading transUnion's marketing solutions business in the media vertical what inspired you to make this next big step in your career? How'd you get into TransUnion and how'd you get started?
2: Yeah, you know, so before I, I, I came to TransUnion, I did what a lot of people do when they don't know what they want to do in life, and I started consulting, and, <laughs> <laughs> right? And we so- We uh, all Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I had spent um, six years in the agency uh, landscape and um, I had then went back to some startup route and that didn't go as planned, let's just say. And then I found myself not sure kind of what to do next. And so I'd hung my own consulting shingle, uh, knew knew most likely that that was going to be a St- temporary step in the, in my time horizon. Um, but then was fortunate to connect with MediaLink guys and had really, you know, in total four years at MediaLink and one year on my own, had really kind of five years of really doing some interesting consulting. And and, and for me, what was so interesting about that is I got to watch a lot of cool things in this industry evolve. Um, and a lot of the head of the curve, if you will, or head of the marketplace, both big marketers, big media, big tech. And I had a very cool seat at the table, in many cases, advising on, you know, management strategy to tech strategy to data strategy and the like. And so having done that and actually TransUnion had become a client on that journey is um, I started to see that the industry was ready for what I probably would have termed the next generation of identity enabled businesses. Um, And I was pretty excited about that because my intersection of strategy has always been at that data and tech meets media. And so, what I saw in TransUnion was a company with really, really great assets to play in that space, but not yet at a business being developed. Uh, and so, as I got to know the, the team at TransUnion and leadership TransUnion, it was clear they were super committed to building uh, the world-class business that we're now all part of.
1: And I love that that, comment, that, that uh, reference to identity-enabled businesses, right? And, and some people have poo-pooed, you know, uh, TransUnion as a consolidator in the marketing solutions space after all of these acquisitions, TrueOptic, TrueSignal, iOvation, Sontic, NewStar, right? Which I don't think is a fair statement. Uh, what would you say the real value to kind of expound upon what you were just talking about uh, of these acquisitions and of these identity-enabled businesses?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I guess to the extent that uh, Consolidator has some bad connotation, yeah, I don't, I don't think we would, we'd uh, appreciate that point. We've certainly have, uh, we've made a bunch of acquisitions, and I I don't think there's any, you know, listen, big companies uh, often need some external impetus to really get started in new areas, right? And if you Mm -hmm. look at where TransUnion was a decade ago, it was really anchored, you know, squarely still in being a credit reporting agency. You know, a decade later, that's still a huge piece of what TransUnion does, but it now is just a piece Right, And in order to, I think, pivot the company that, you know, wasn't my doing, I've just been part of into truly a much more, as we talk about it, a global insights and information company, there had to have some innovation from the outside to spark some of those changes and to to make uh, some of those moves. Now, I think it's certainly fair to anyone that is, you know, if the kind of the notion is people from the outside say, well, hey, you've got to innovate from inside as well. Totally agree. Uh, And I think now we've got the teams and the assets to make that possible. And certainly, I think you're going to see from what is now our combined business, a ton of innovation in a lot of areas.
0: So all of these acquisitions that you've been talking about, and and obviously some of the assets that TransUnion brought to the table as well, all kind of bundle up into this idea this concept of identity. Can you talk a little bit about why identity matters? You know, what, what makes that data so valuable to advertisers?
2: Yeah, you know, and I think what's, what's really important is across all of TransUnion, the idea of identity matters to all the different businesses that TransUnion's in outside of just marketing, right? In our fraud business, in our credit business, uh, in our consumer business. Uh, and it's different flavors of identity. In marketing, we typically think about it as identity resolution, right? That's the, the word that we most often put behind identity, right? How do we know uh, who we are connected to different devices, what are our connected households, what are the connected relationships, et cetera and you know listen, I think it, it, we've we 've entered a world where and this has been true the last decade where you know marketing effectiveness is fueled by data um, mm-hmm. and I think why is that true well i, I don 't think there 's any rocket science, but a lot of people i think don 't you know, don 't think about it like we do day to day, which is it 's just been proven that precision marketing drives more marketing effectiveness. Uh, whether that is targeting more of the right people, whether that's offering more uh, tailored messaging, whether that's creating personalized experiences. And now if you want to deliver that, right, if you, if you as a marketer, as a company, as a media company, whatever it is, if you want to engage with consumers in a personalized way, in a friction right way, is the way we at TransUnion often say, it's not frictionless, but it's friction right, right? Just enough friction, right? Um, The only way you make that possible is through detailed understanding of identity and consumer data. And so, you know, really, I I don't think it's an understatement to say that the idea of identity resolution and broadly identity is a key underpinning of a digitally driven world, both for commerce uh, and advertising.
1: So so we've noticed a lot of uh, confusion, I think, in the industry in terms of that, that term identity. And I like to Uh, So, you know, use the Socratic method of like define our terms. What are we talking about? Depends on who's talking in a lot of cases, who's actually talking about this notion of identity. So do you think it's another word for people or is it simply uh, an attempt to stitch signals together to approximate a person.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think you're right that when you just say identity, it means 5,000 things to 5,000 people. But I think it's pretty clear to say, if you're talking about identity resolution, you are talking about the understanding of individuals and or households across multiple touch points. And that has to span the both physical world as well as the digital world, right? So certainly when we think about, you know, performing identity resolution, it is about name and address and phone number as much as it's about a hashed email or a mobile device signal or a home IP. It's about being holistic and thorough about understanding the link between people. And our job in that space is to make sure that we inform banks and financial service institutions, is this the person that you think they are and what's their credit worthiness? That at the fundamental core, it is an identity resolution problem, which has to be done with super high fidelity, right? You can't get that wrong. Can't get that wrong. That's right. We, we have much more room for error in marketing. Uh, and the point being is that's the identity resolution game that we're interested in playing for marketing because it allows us to, again, deliver those personalized experiences we were talking before.
0: How would you suggest um, advertisers and agencies navigate the many different identity solutions?
2: Listen, I think it's, it's somewhat common knowledge. But when you take a step back and you see it, each company evolves in its own way. And, I, and I've now gotten to a point where I can get behind lots of strategies uh, as long as they're moving forward, right? And so, so what do I mean by that? Listen, I, I suppose if I had my druthers, uh, you know, companies would organize top-down around a data-driven marketing strategy that sought to align the data silos, sought to be really, really analytical driven in how they make marketing investments, would seek to be extremely personalized in their marketing efforts, and would... Again, C-suite on down, align those strategies and break down the silos and just make it happen, right? Like that seems like the right ideal way to do it.
0: Sounds like utopia.
2: Sounds a little utopian. That's exactly right.
1: Start with the people. Start with the organizational structure first, then move on.
2: Yeah, listen, in a textbook, that's how you would do it right? And, but the practical reality is for many good reasons, that's just not how things can often evolve, right? It is a people problem. It's a process problem. It's a, you can't just undo a billion dollar business to try it new. Like that's just not how the world works in more practical terms. And so from that perspective, I've gotten very comfortable, right? As you start consulting, where you find the pockets of innovation to do bottoms up, All right? And then, As long as you got some alignment and some buy-in on some interesting strategies, maybe for some that simply means, how do I take my, you know, digital video strategy? I want to put digital and video in quotes, by the way. No one can see me making quotes on a podcast. (laughs) We know they're there. Uh, We've forgotten that test and learn is just the way to do it. Make progress, right? Do something, try it, see what works, do more of it. and I get it's hard because there is so much noise in the ecosystem right now, and there's such a feeling that you have to get it right. I think the better mentality is do something, make some progress, and you'll evolve.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Step you were say, sort of talking about you know using data and, and measuring success, which I think is really important. And obviously, coming from the analytics space, that's something that is near and dear to my heart. So I'm curious, you know, how do you go about setting those KPIs? How do you go about choosing with the right, measure of successes.
2: I'd want to know so much about what is your business about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd get really comfortable knowing it can't all be about the bottom line. It can't, everything can't be about the bottom line sales dollars, because if it is, you're not doing any true R&D. You're not actually testing and learning if everything has to demonstrate an immediate positive ROI. Now, You then have to figure out what are the right proxies to inform that strategy. And you have to make this R&D strategy a fraction of your marketing investment, not the majority of your marketing investment. If you don't have new measurement models, you won't try new things. That I'm confident about. Without new forms of measurement, you'll keep doing the same old thing. And each business better go about figuring out what are they comfortable testing and trying and working to prove whether it makes an impact on the bottom line in some format. Because again, if you just if you decide to try social or try search or try connected television, and you just are making the same um, ROI calculations you're doing for your tried and true methods, most likely the tried and true things are going to work better, and you're not going to be happy. But maybe that misses the long term opportunity.
1: Yeah. Well, it sounds like confirmation bias, right? When you're when you're testing based on Uh, Going into something, a hypothesis that you've got already based on your tried and true methods, you you might be looking for certain results that that might appear differently, you know, with a different channel, a different approach. Right. So there's a little confirmation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Listen, as an as an extension and incremental growth plan, that's the right thing to do. Right. There's nothing wrong with using your proven methods as a if it's, you know, again, you're not trying something brand new. You're trying maybe a new media source. Okay, we'll use the same, you know, same, uh, you know methodologies. Uh, you're trying to do creative. Use the same methodologies. Um, but if you're trying to fundamentally shift how you do marketing strategy in, and again, the, the goals of marketing have not changed for centuries, right? <laughs> right? There's just nope. different ways to do it, right? I have client conversations with, with um, you know, marketing clients and even media companies that, that will ask, well, you know, what do we do? My question typically back is tell me the most important thing to you guys to accomplish over the next 12 months. right? Are you having a sales volume challenge? Are you having a cost of sales challenge? Uh, are you having a new market entry challenge? right? Uh, are you trying to reach new segments for the first time? right Like so much of those things and what is actually that business scenario should impact the answer of what you apply. But I promise you, you're going to start with applying data analytics, right, is going to be the key driver of whatever you're doing. And I would encourage all of those of you listening who are sitting here trying to figure out what to do with this stuff is figure that out. Technology has never solved this stuff on, on itself by itself, right? It's the enabler of some business strategy. And you've got to figure out, you know, what is the business strategy you care most about?
1: Yeah, so you, you talked about um, connected TV, digital video, you've talked about uh, kind of uh, backing into what you're solving for before you begin to solve a problem. Um, television, I'd like to kind of pivot into that area because I know that's an area that it, you've spoken a lot about at The Beat Retreat yeah. and other, and other uh, events. It's gone through a huge transformation. Consumers consume content via screen sizes of all time, of all types and all, all different types of environments. Um, you know, what do you define TV as at, at this point? Is it a content channel? Is it an advertising channel? Has the definition changed? Uh, and, and how should advertisers think about digital video advertising, television yeah. advertising? Yeah.
2: You know, I spend a couple of years I was consulting, asking a lot of people to define the word television for me. Uh, <laughs> and there's zero consistency. Uh, it, it is actually an interesting word. I think it's going to be the shorthand we use for what I think of as the business of TV. Right. Which I suppose means most when we kind of we know what we mean when we say it type thing. Right. Which, of course, will become less and less true as people have grown up in a world of uh, pure streaming. Um, but listen, what when I, when I think about when we think about what is this business of television, uh, for me, the anchor points are talking about full screen content and not in a social feed.
0: When you say full screen, do you mean... Big screen or small screen?
2: No, any any size screen, but it is the screen. Meaning I don't think of the business of television being a video that plays in a banner ad, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I think of the business of television as being I'm watching video content and it's taking up my full screen, whatever screen that is, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm, I'm watching. So again, I'm not scrolling through a feed watching clips. I don't think of that as the business of television. That is video advertising.
0: There's so many terms, you know, there's linear TV, there's connected TV, there's addressable TV, you know, there's there's all these terms out there in terms of how we define television today and there are words that we use in the industry. You know, how do you reconcile those terms?
2: There really are ad buying terms, I suppose, at the end of the day, right? Like, so So that is a distinction on I would draw, right? Which is we think of the, for those that are in the business of creating and distributing content, right? this is an amazing time to be in that business, right? Big media, if you will. Now, there are a lot of challenges, right? The ad revenue side of their business is certainly under pressure in a way like it's never been before. But meanwhile, you're creating direct-to-consumer businesses and way more channels to distribute your content than ever before, right? So you've got a lot of dichotomy there and your traditional media companies certainly have evolution to go through. I think most of them, most certainly the biggest ones are doing it more consolidation will happen, but you know, the NBCs and the Disney's are going to be very, very strong media companies. Clearly your Netflix is a very strong media company, your Roku's and your LG's and your Samsung's, the hardware guys are now media companies. The things which are delivered still through a set top box, you know, some type of linear, the classic television feed, um, You buy units, you don't buy impressions, and you don't have dynamic ad insertion, right? Versus everything that's delivered via some kind of digital pipe, some type of streaming ecosystem, is you do buy impressions and you have dynamic ad insertion, Mm -hmm. right? That is a major difference for how the ecosystem from an advertising perspective works.
0: In terms of how it's served, but how it's consumed is very different. It's, it's very similar in, in a lot of ways. It's usually on a big screen. That's why I asked that question about big screen versus yeah. small screen.
2: Well, the consumer doesn't care about this distinction. No. You're 100% right. What does happen, though, is the ad buying models are so different that we as an industry, unfortunately, still have to care. We'd love not to care, right? The whole discussion is a true converged video ecosystem regardless of screen. I'm all in. That's the right thing we've got to get towards. But when you do have two different buying models, it makes it really, really hard to do that truly at scale.
1: Is that because the buying model is defining who's managing that process within an organization? So your linear guys will focus on linear. A lot of times the digital programmatic um, uh, ad buying for, for television goes into the, into the digital camp. You've got people competing for budgets. Do you see that that divide is a big one that, that needs to be crossed?
2: Nowhere near as big as it was when I was at the agency, you know, what, plus 10 years ago? 10 years ago, it was the thing, right? Today, it still exists. There are still those silos. We still have more silos to break down. But, I, but nowhere near like it was. I, I think most people recognize, even if they haven't fully operationalized, that that synergy, that, that interaction matters, Right
0: especially with reach and frequency. I mean, to your point earlier, you could hit you in two different ways. How do you make sure that you're not hitting that, you know, 72 different times with the same ad across linear and connected? It's the same device, it's just in a different delivery mechanism.
2: We are providing technology data and identity capabilities to solve for these challenges. That reach frequency across platform challenges, that understanding who those people are across platforms, the analytics that drives performance, like that is where we spend time. It's what we wanna do. We wanna help both marketers and sellers make that better. It's not really a data challenge. Most of the data you need exists. It's a business model operational challenge. And sure, some of that's siloing as well and you know, different budgets, and different camps. But I think more, I think more to the point is, there's just a lot of new plumbing and piping and ways to work that we're still inventing. And the head of the curve is adopted it and teaching the rest of the industry how to do it. But we just have to remember the industry isn't monolithic. You've got your biggest marketers. You've got your small startups. You've got your DTC guys versus those that only sell through other, you know, channels. There's so many different types of this industry that I just think what we're living through right now is an era where the innovation's happening.
1: Yeah. So all these, all the signs are pointing towards an automated, uh, dynamic ad serving, ad delivery process when it comes to video content and other content. Yeah. It's just not quite there yet due to different delivery methodologies, different, you
2: know. Yes, with the potential exception, is it, it is possible that dynamic ad insertion comes to TV. Some are much more bullish on it than others. I mean, linear, traditional linear set-top box-driven television. I'm not convinced we see that anytime soon. I'm not convinced we necessarily see it, period. And as a result of that, I think we'll still have some of these operational challenges. But what's going to happen over time is, regardless of that happening, is more and more content distribution will be done through streaming, where dynamic ad insertion and impressions is what we're operating on. So that world's going to matter more
0: so do you see it as continuing to be this top of funnel mechanism for brands or, in, you know, what role does shopability and commerce play? You know, we just had Joanna O'Connell on the podcast a little while ago. And, and she said, you know, one of the terms she's hearing for 2022 is commerce, commerce, commerce. So, you know, what role does shopability play in terms of, you know, this delivery mechanism?
2: I'm bullish on commerce happening in lots of channels without any question. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I don't think there's any reason to believe that sight, sound, and motion advertising is only good for top of the funnel. In fact, it's already—we already know that's not true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, listen. It got there because it grew up in an era where, you know, scaled commerce wasn't possible in sight, sound, and motion advertising because it wasn't how TV was delivered, and TV was so expensive that the only advertisers that spent any money in television were massive brand-building advertisers that therefore, mm-hmm. you know, continued to fuel this. If you take take a DTC brands are spending a ton of money on television now, and these are typically highly sophisticated analytically driven marketers, they're definitely looking at whether it's a media mix modeling or some form of attribution to understand the impact that television's having.
1: Yeah, and we discussed in advance of, of the podcast that that connecting, you know, I've talked to a lot of automotive CMOs and, and other big brands outside of the DTC space, but that that are great with the top of funnel, great with the the building mass audience is, is poorly targeted as that might be, uh, and really good at the, at the customer acquisition piece of it. So when you're deeper down funnel and you get that email from a, a, because you've requested a test drive from an automotive uh, OEM, um, but, but the connecting the dots between top and lower is always a bit of a challenge to go from that, ch- that, ma- that channel, like a television channel that's, ex- that's typically associated with that exposure, that brand awareness play, um, to the actual dealership experience, uh, there seems to be a disconnect, and I wonder outside of the, the retail media networks, outside of, of some of the stuff that you've just discussed, if that's um, how, how, do, how do brands think about bridging that gap?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this probably brings together a couple of points we are talking about, right, which is one is this is the journey to start on, right, and to figure out what do you want to prove first and make some movements that, you know, you're not going to get to perfect your first step. Uh, and be comfortable knowing that whatever you try first is probably not going to be the end all be all. And then they recognize that identity, measuring in new ways, right? Um, Micro-segmentation, understanding your audience, that those things matter. You know, disconnect, get rid of the data silos, think about measuring new things. Those are the precursors to making those links possible because they're possible. I just think make some progress, right? Decide you want to take in this example, you want to take a certain, some car make model campaign tied to dealers. And you want to look at that link and create a measurement model that supports that campaign initiative and see what you learn. Yeah. If it works, yeah. do it again. If it doesn't try something different. Just try to
1: add clarity to the process, right? Of, of how do you go from a point A to point
2: C? Yeah, I think, yeah, listen, this is hard to do. Most companies haven't applied to marketing the amount of data science capabilities and rigor and expertise and just people, right? The people power to be able to do that. Most companies don't have that. And so if if you're not going to make that investment directly, find it in partners. Again, technology and the tools to do it are part of it. But you need people and you need help there, too. So either hire the people or through your partners, get the people to be able to answer those questions. I've learned how to ask these questions. I've learned to know that the key to data science and data modeling is to ask questions, right? But a lot of people haven't had that experience. And so I think you've got to find the person around the table that's going to help you do that to give you confidence that you're, you're on the journey. And I do think it's you know, listen, a lot of people get paralyzed. It's a lot of new stuff to try. It's a lot of math. Uh, it's a, it's a lot of math is
0: not that scary, guys. It's just about asking <laughs> no, the questions. I think that, it's, that it's, was a good tidbit. Yeah, and if
1: we can see progress in sort of that, that you know, the consumer journey marketing and the journey analytics and the personalization sort of hypey terms that we've heard about since the beginnings of of digital media. Oh, we've got all this data. We can do great stuff with it. I've yet, as a consumer, to see a lot of that really come to fruition outside of a couple of brands that I've had experience with. So it would be good to see, you know, you're right, we're making progress and we're moving in the right direction and the data science acumen is certainly coming into play as a big focus point for a lot of brands.
2: Yeah, and I think, listen, I, I think you add something which is important, which is I would put the consumer hat on as much as you can, right? Uh, and, you know, which is think about if you want to yourself as a consumer as at least an anecdote, careful, we're, we're not typical consumers by any stretch of imagination. <laughs> uh, but But too often we do forget what are the types of things that, you know, delight and surprise us as consumers, right? And I think if we can at least start there, provide some good interest and insights, right? That doesn't mean do what exactly we want, but we know we all prefer experiences which are easy, which feel personalized, which feel tailored, right? That offer me, you know, under promise and over deliver, right? Like all that stuff makes us happy. If we can figure out how to do that in marketing and figure out how to measure that reality, I think you're making progress.
0: We've had some really good discussion. I guess I'm just really curious. We've talked a lot about trends. We talked about identity. We talked about television. What are the three fundamental things marketers really need to pay attention to most in 2022?
2: Yeah. Narrowing down to three is a tough one.
0: What's the number one thing?
2: Well, I suppose there's some confirmation bias in this answer, but I still (laughs) think the core of this all starts with understanding and having a really good ecosystem for understanding who you're reaching and how you're reaching them. It all starts with good identity, right? And identity resolution and, you know, marketing and data attributes to understand people. I just think this is a data-driven ecosystem. I still Mm -hmm. think that is the core to everything we're doing, right? It used to be, all about scale and tonnage, and now it's all about data to enable precision.
1: So Matt, it makes <laughs> it makes me think about uh, when you talk about precision, when you talk about sort of data-driven decisioning, I think is a big piece of that, because data helps to make decisions, machine learning, heavy-duty math is involved in that. I, I think back to some of the most uh, important experiences I think I've had as a consumer with the brand, uh, and it, it a lot of times comes back to music, and I'm gonna tie in the music topic, Spotify has to be the most efficient um, uh, personalization engine that I've ever experienced in my life in terms of knowing behaviorally uh, uh, what my interests are and and how to recommend stuff that is going to surprise me. You know, because we talk about surprise and delight, but I'm oftentimes go, you know, saying to myself, how did they know that, right? And, And how did I not know that artist from 25 years ago that they're recommending to me? So with that in mind, Um, what music has gotten you through? And I know you're a big music fan, Matt. I am. uh, Has gotten you through the pandemic? Has there been anything that sort of resonated with you at at the core?
2: Yeah. uh, Well, so I do think I'll, behind all of those systems was definitely identity and data right which is a great point uh and yes yeah listen if i could spend um i don't know how many nights a year going to concerts i would spend all of them i am a a mix of things i listen to a lot of the quote jam band scene if you will so i'm i'm a fish fan uh, which will anger some and delight Mm -hmm. others uh and so there's certainly that dimension Uh, I'm also really into kind of jazz influenced rock, you know, so everything from your kind of your southern rock to your kind of your New Orleans funk, you know, J.J. Gray is is a great kind of artist, Uh, Nathaniel Rateliff. Uh, a lot of like I'm into guitar meets horns meets kind of interesting bass and drum beats.
1: Nice that that goes that goes well.
0: You guys would be very disappointed in my 2021 rap. It's nowhere near the level of sophistication that you guys are describing. So I'm I'm very envious.
2: Don't get me wrong, my my uh, I'm into that stuff too. My kids certainly push that direction as well. So you no know doubt about it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I think 2021 for me has been, uh, uh, it's been sort of a, a back to the future, right? It kind of brings, it brought me back to the stuff that I listened to early on. Miles Davis being, late Miles Davis being a big one.
2: Nice.
0: Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to chat with you. Um, this was a lot of fun. It was great to hear your experience, hear you know your your thoughts on the industry and, and to you know, get to know the TransUnion family a little bit better. So thank you for your time. And uh, we look forward to chatting again further.
1: Thank you, Matt.